We meet today in Psalm chapter 85 to 87. Psalm 85 speaks of the restoration of Israel. This psalm is to the chief musician, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, from the petitions of verses 4 to verse 7, we actually learn that the occasion of this psalm was a time of national humiliation. Details are lacking, but the people ask for God's anger to cease, for national revival, and for a new display of God's mercy. This petition is also preceded by a remembrance of the Lord's past favors, which are highlighted in verse 1 to verse 3, and succeeded by a statement of the psalmist's certainty of impending deliverance, beginning from verse 8 to verse 13. We are in a section. We have several writers of the Psalms, and the amazing thing is that these Psalms have been put together to tell a story. We have seen that they appear in series, or a cluster here and a cluster there. All of these, they present a prophetic picture. This Psalm looks to the future. Now, note this prophetic picture that comes from Psalm 85. Lord, you have been favorable to your lands. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob. Psalm 85 verse 1. Now, many critics assume that this verse refers to the return of the Jews to their land from the Babylonian captivity. But in reality, only a small remnant returned to the land at that time. Less than 6,000 people came back. The bulk of the people did not return. Rather than referring to the return after the Babylonian captivity, we actually see that it looks forward to the kingdom age when God brings all of his people back into that land. Psalm 85 verse 2 says, you have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. Selah. Now, we have a glorious picture here. This picture can only refer to the future. It certainly did not depict the condition after the Babylonian captivity. If you think it does, a reading of the book of Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, and Zechariah, also Malachi, would actually enlighten you. Why am I saying that? Malachi severely rebukes the people because their hearts were far from God. Their hearts were so cold. Or they were going to the temple and bringing sacrifices, but their hearts were far away from God. So this psalm presents an entirely different picture. The people have not been forgiven of their iniquity. Their sins have not yet been covered. Verse 3 says, you have taken away all your wrath, you have taken from the fierceness of your anger. Again, it looks to the time when the judgments are over for Israel. The waste time for our nations, for and even for the world in general, is not now, it's actually in the future. Particularly when we think of Israel, it is in the future. Now, the great tribulation is going to be a global one in extent, 
and it will be a time of judgment. Satan will be turned loose, and the Holy Spirit will not be restraining evil. The lead will be taken off. The fellow who wants to paint the red in town will have a brush that is big enough and plenty of paint to do just that. God is going to let men go to the limit, and then he is going to judge them. For the child of God in this day, the judgment for sin is over. The sin question was settled when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. As the songwriter puts it, the old account was settled long ago. But you see, our works are going to be tried by fire. We read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 to verse 15. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Yet so as through fire. My friend, you see that I hope that God will be able to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. But I will have to wait and see when everyone's work will be revealed and tested. During the great tribulation, there is going to be brought together into the focal point everything in the way of judgment and evil. Thank God the church will not have to go through the great tribulation because God will remove the church. Psalm 85 Verse 4 to verse 5. Restore us, O God, of our salvation, and cause your anger towards us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? You see, the day is coming when the suffering of these people will cease, will come to a halt. As we saw in previous psalm, their history has been one of tears to drink and Tear sandwiches to eat. That was their diet. The day is coming when it will be over. God will come and wipe away all of their tears. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? You see, the word we have here is, will you not other versions would put it, will you not yourself revive us? Even the word in you literally means you alone. And it is emphatic and it underscores the biblical premise that genuine restoration of the national and spiritual life of a country has its origin not in people but in God. Will you not yourself revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Today we need revival in our churches for several reasons. One reason is that there is a lack of joy in the lives of believers. It should be there, but it is not there. And here the people are asking, when we have been revived, then your people will rejoice in you. Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Psalm 85 verse 7. 
Well, this is something into which all of our hearts can enter. God hurts evil and he will judge evil. But he is also a God of mercy and salvation to those who turn to him. I will hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Psalm 85 verse 8 you see, when God's judgment of sin takes place, his people will no longer tend to folly. They will not return to their sins because sin will be removed from the universe. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Psalm 85 verse 9. You see, there is no glory in Israel today. There is no glory in the world today. I love Israel, by the way, my friend. And when I visited that land, I saw that nothing really that is as glorious as you might think. Only a pile of rocks. The place is even ragged. And you are walking, if you go there right now, you walk under the threat of maybe bombs and uh, guns. That is not glory. Of course, there are many places which are sacred to us as Christians. And I enjoyed visiting some of those places, even going into the empty tomb. But the place does not look glorious as it were. People walk around in fear. So that time of glory has not yet come. It is still in future. Oh, Jerusalem is beautiful, but the glorious time is in future. Now, this is one of the most remarkable verses of Scripture. If you read it, Psalm 85, verse 10. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Well, again, to illustrate what I have been talking about, mercy and truth haven't met each other in our day. Righteousness and peace have not yet kissed each other. They are not even in speaking terms today. One of the reasons we cannot have peace in this world is because we do not have righteousness in this world. Things have to be right, my friend, before there can be peace in the world. Things are not right today. They are not right in my neighborhood or anywhere. Until things are right in our lives, there will be no peace on the earth. And this verse is really great. Who can bring about mercy and truth, righteousness and peace together? The Lord Jesus Christ. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Psalm 85 verse 13. You see, when the Lord Jesus Christ reigns, he will reign in righteousness. What a glorious time. What a glorious anticipation we see when righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. As we are following who? Him. His footsteps. We move on to Psalm 86. Psalm 86 is David's prayer for the future kingdom. We have come to another one of David's psalms, and it is his prayer. It is remarkable in that it introduces another name for God. We have seen in, in the former psalms that the names Elohim, which speaks of God as creator and Jehovah, 
which speaks of God as Savior, have been used. In this psalm, another name for God appears seven times. The name is Adonai, of which the English translation is Lord. Adonai is the name of God, which the religious Jews used, and it still does today. They used that word instead of Jehovah. When an Orthodox Jew comes to the name of Jehovah, the sacred tetragram or YHWH, where from where we got our Yahweh, he doesn't pronounce it. The pious Jew will not pronounce that tetragram. In fact, the pronunciation has actually been lost, and today scholars debate about whether it should be pronounced Jehovah or Yahweh or something else. The Orthodox Jew, considering the name Jehovah to be sacred to voice, he substitutes that name with Adonai. Adonai refers to God as our Savior, the one who is the Holy God, the one who has been able to extend mercy to us. Because Adonai occurs seven times in this psalm, some scholars consider it a messianic psalm. However, I do not think it would be called a messianic psalm in the strict sense of the word because of the nature of the prayer that is in this psalm. For example, Psalm 86, verse 11, you hear, Teach me your ways, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. You see, there is no way that you can apply this verse to the Lord Jesus Christ. He would never need a prayer like this because he came to do the Father's will. But this verse can apply to you and me. We need to be taught God's ways and his truth. Our hearts need to be united to fear his name. Christ came to do the Father's will, and he did it. It is different with us. Actually, F.W. Frank made a remarkable statement in this regard. He said, This is indeed what is everywhere, the great lack among the people of God. How much of our lives is not spent in positive evil, but frittered away and lost in countless petty divisions, which spoil effectually the positiveness of our testimony for God. How few can say with the Apostle Paul, this one thing I do, we are on the road, not at least intentionally off it, but we stop to chase butterflies among the flowers and make no serious progress. How certain must wonder when he sees us turn away from the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, when realized as his temptation and yet yield our lives with sacred a thought to endless trifles lighter than the thistle down for which the child spends all his energy, we laugh at him. If we examined our lives carefully in such an interest as this, how would we realize the multitude of needless anxieties or self-imagined duties of permitted relaxations of innocent trifles which incessantly divert us from that which alone is profit? How few perhaps 
would care to face such an examination day by day of the unwritten history of their lives. That is so true. We need to be taught the ways of the Lord. We need to walk in the truth of God. You see, my friend, there are many Christian workers today who are not in open sin, but they sure are lazy. They kill time doing this and that, and they are busy here and there, but the main business remains undone. There are those who are not even guarding the staff, and they are not alert in serving the Lord. We need to pray and say, Lord, unite my heart to fear your name. The psalmist's prayer that preceded it is, teach me your ways, O Lord, which is, I think, the solution for a wandering, divided heart. A divided heart is a sick heart in this world. One with a divided heart is a pathetic person in this world. And the first thing the Apostle Paul said after he was converted was, Lord, what will you have me to do in Acts 9 verse 6? And the psalmist had the answer, teach me your way, O Lord. And the Lord has promised to teach his children. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will guide you with my eye. Psalm 32 verse 8. I walk in your truth. That should be our response, which means we should walk in the light that the word of God gives us. Then he will receive the praise of our heart. When our heart is united and devoted to him, the greater our praise would become. Actually, Psalm 86 concludes with this wonderful verse. How do we praise him? I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify your name forever. That is the goal. Now we move on to Psalm chapter 87. Now this psalm speaks of Zion, the city of God. This psalm is a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. It is a song that deals with Zion, the city of God. And it speaks of the glorious future of Jerusalem. The song of Zion speaks prophetically of the time when Zion really will be the center of the universal kingdom of the Messiah. Zion is God's elect city. As we will see from verse 1 to verse 3, it is also a place where even the Gentiles are gathered. Verse 4 to verse 6. And it is also the source of a new life in God's kingdom. Verse 7 speaks of that. The nations will come to Jerusalem to worship there. His foundation is the holy mountains. Psalm 87 verse 1. Now that is where the government of the world will one day be. Isaiah 2 verse 2 tells us, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Zechariah 2 verse 10 to verse 11 says, Sing and rejoice, O daughters of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people and I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts 
has sent me to you. Now remember that we are still in the section that is known as the Leviticus section of the Psalms. And the tabernacle and the temple are at the very heart of it. So you read, The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. Selah. Psalm 87, verse 2 to verse 3. You see, this same view was expressed before in Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountains of his holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. That is Psalm 48, verse 1 to verse 2. So the idea has already been muted. Psalm 87, verse 4 says, I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, O Philistia and Tyre, with Ethiopia, this one was born there. Well, Rahab is not the harlot of Jericho, but Egypt. Uh, as Isaiah 51 verse 9 says, Psalm 89 verse 10 also speaks of this same Rahab. It represents the southern world power, and Babylon represents the northern. The name Rahab means tumult, and Babylon means confusion. The tumult and the confusion of these nations will end when Christ is reigning in Zion. Now it is very interesting to see that Zion will be the birthplace of many nations. When the Lord Jesus Christ is here, the world will come to Jerusalem and many nations will be converted. Notice it also mentions Philistia and Tyre with Ethiopia. This is all tremendously interesting when we remember that as the gospel left the land of Israel and started down the highways of the world, the first convert was the Ethiopian eunuch from Africa, and that is in Acts chapter 8. He was born again out there in the desert. But the psalmist here has reference to, I believe, the entire nation of Ethiopia, which will be converted in the future. That is the word of God, and it is God's promise, my friend. Psalm 87 verse 5 says, And of Zion it will be said, This one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself shall establish her. You see, the King of Kings will make Zion the capital of the earth. No one will make Zion the capital of the earth but Christ the Messiah. Then verse 6 tells us, The Lord will record when he registers the people, this one was born there, Selah. You see, there will be many who will turn to the Lord in that day, recognizing that they were deceived by the Antichrist, and it will be a wonderful time. But what is also interesting to note is that the Lord will take a record, and he will register the peoples and say, these ones belong here. What a glorious time this will be. I look forward to such a time in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.
You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send an email to info at twrafrica.org. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me repeat that email address for you. Info at twrafrica.org.